Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, it's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. So how are we feeling about New Year's resolutions in the scientific community? Because I've heard that they're not much. There's there's not much uh, that recommends them. I thought you meant, like, we, as the three of us, how are we feeling about New Year's resolutions for us and our brains in this general? How I feel about it is that, the like, the evidence suggests that this isn't the way to do it. So I'm trying to not, even though my brain says, you should probably do that. Mm-hmm. Have, some, have some goals. I think you told me this last year, and so last year I didn't make any goals. And I kind of felt bad about it. I kind of felt bad about it all year. <laughs> Well, don't worry. You would have felt bad when you didn't meet your goals. Yeah. So I guess you just feel bad no matter what you do. <laughs> we should or stop ending years. Little goals. Little yeah, goals. Yeah, I think I might make this yeah. is a good idea. I think I might make some this year. I think Super I might achievable I, things. Yeah. Yeah. That's my general strategy. It's like whenever I feel a burst of motivation, you know, you know the one. Yeah. Like uh, January, it's never it. January, mm. I'm tired. It's cold. I just uh-huh. want to be warm. But like April, that's a good time. October for me, Ooh, great time. I love the beginning of October. An October for some resolution. Reason. There's kind of that breeze in the air and it's bracing you. And yeah, you it's a little can, bit yeah. colder. So then uh-huh. I don't feel like I'm 
hot all the time. And so I can <laughs> yeah. exercise without Agreed. sweating too, too much. Uh-huh. Uh, so I recommend resolutions intermittently, just when you feel like Throughout you can do year. it. So we need Halloween resolutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Turn your favorite holiday into a motivational one also, yeah. Sam. What's the smallest thing that can that still counts as a resolution? So it can't be something I'm already doing, but it has to be like so achievable that I'm definitely going to achieve it. This is what I'm looking for. I have one. Mine is that whenever I get a haircut, I want to leave the haircutty place with an appointment for my next haircut, which is something oh. that I have heard a lot of people yeah. do, but I have never done. I kind of feel like it's way weirder that you don't schedule your next one before you leave. It's like I don't they, know. when I've you leave, they're probably like, it. did that guy just leave without scheduling his next one? <laughs> why? Yeah, they think I'm so strange. Yeah. He's like, what a weirdo. He's a YouTuber, right? <laughs> That's what they say. That explains and it. They're like, he comes back, so he didn't hate his haircut. But yeah, I think this is achievable for you. I think you can do this. I'm just going to do that. That's the thing that I'm going to change about my lifestyle, and it's very boring. That's I think those are the for. best kinds of resolutions because those are the sustainable changes. Sustainable yeah. changes. This is what we're looking for. I'm not trying to revolutionize my life. Just trying to make one thing a little easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts, while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, but they're also playing for Hank Bucks, and one of them will win at the end of the episode. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, it's from me. I'm sorry if this seems icky, but everything's a little bit sticky. Particles, they stick together, like hooks in a bird's feather. There's a tiny invisible force tether. Describing it's a little bit tricky. Now, different particles stick different amounts, and depending on that, they can stick or bounce or slide past each other like a basket of balls, and some particles barely stick at all. Sticking, sliding, and bouncing mass is solid, liquid, or finally, gas. With enough energy, it's a no-brainer. They bounce off each other and fill their container. Gas, 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 gas. Gas, 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 gas. I felt like there needed like a last couplet to make to round out the poem, but I couldn't yeah. figure it out. I feel like it was done, but like in terms of What's the vibe, it, it wasn't done. Yeah. So I just said gas a bunch of times. Forget physics class or whatever. Just listen to that yeah. poem. You can skip. That's all right. Of like it's all done. Grade or something. I yeah. did it. I did all of tenth grade. I did states <laughs> of matter. Plasma. Don't even think about it. That's a different no. thing. Don't worry about it. It's for TVs okay. only. Right. That's right. Plasma. And blood. That's different stuff, right? Is that two different stuff? The plasma and blood. <laughs> yes. The plasma and TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, wow. TVs we don't are any... made <laughs> from blood. Uh, yeah. That's the secret that the big TV doesn't want you yeah. to know. That's how they do it so cheaply. They just take uh-huh. people's blood. So the topic of the day is gla- ga- glass? <laughs> Hope <laughs> not. It's gas, which is a state of matter. And I tried to explain u- using our... Uh, traditional SciShow tangents balls in my poem, mm-hmm. what gas is. But I'm sure that there are some edge cases that are going to mess this up. Sari, what is gas? I, I didn't want to think about the edge cases, but Good yes. idea. Let's uh, not do it. <laughs> if, there are the states of matter, like you said, solid, liquid, gas, plasma. You yeah. can get a, we can dip a little bit into plasma if you want. <laughs> but basically, gas is generally neutrally charged particles that are far apart balls bouncing off of each other. They're so far apart that in most cases, we can't see them. They're all around us in the atmosphere, scattered about. Yeah. And when you see 
something. So like if you say you see steam or smoke or something, there are gases Mm -hmm. as part of that. But the steam, like the opaqueness is condensed liquid water. Very, very tiny droplets. So when you see like steam in the shower, you're not really seeing steam. That's that's little droplets. And there's like humidity around when and Mm -hmm. like in a power plant where they're using steam, like actual water vapor, just like pure vaporized water to drive turbines. That is entirely invisible and you would only see it as heat. And it is so dangerous Uh that it's a it's like a, a concern that sometimes there can be a steam leak and you can't see it. And all it would do is just completely destroy your body. <laughs> yeah. So gases are weird if you think about it, because I feel like a lot of people would say, oh, I've seen gas. I've seen steam. There are some visible gases. Yeah, there are like light, light yellow. Yeah, like, like yellow, like a bromine gas is orange. But for the most part, gases you sense with your other senses. So either the temperature of them, if it's exceptionally hot, you can smell some gases, but not others. So like Mercaptan is a gas that gets added to a natural gas pipe because that methane is generally odorless, but then you can right. smell mercaptan. So you can't see it. You wouldn't be able to smell it, but we add a smelly gas so that you can whiff it. Yeah. But otherwise, gas is a pretty undetectable or hard to study thing, yeah, which is really weird. interesting. Like yeah, we know so yeah, much about it now. That. It was kind of a long time before we were like, I bet that stuff's the same stuff as the other stuff. Was a, that was a big insight for humans. It's weird to stick your hand out of a really fast car and be like, wow, gas can be pretty hard. Like a hurricane force wind. It's just gas. Just gas hitting you. It's just real fast yeah. gas. <laughs> yeah, it's fast gas. And so then there's like more of it in a smaller place, kind of. Yeah, it's, all it's, hitting it's pressure. You. Sure. You said it was a long time before we figured that out. What's a long time? Yeah. So the the origin of the word gas comes from the 1650s or so. Oh, wow. There's a Flemish chemist named Jean-Baptiste von Helmont. Nice. Um, who was an earlier Definitely chemist. Definitely not a vampire. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> he could have Definitely been a vampire hunter, track. okay? <laughs> One of the two. And instead of studying blood, uh, he was studying gas. And he was just like looking at chemical reactions that produce gas. He especially was perplexed by carbon dioxide because he couldn't get it to condense. Mm. And so he made up the word gas, probably from the Greek word chaos, meaning empty <sighs> space. Ooh. Um, Whoa, what? Which is very cool. He's probably influenced by the 16th century physician and natural philosopher Paracelsus, who used chaos to denote like spirit things like we just don't understand there's there's spirits and so this chemist was like well gas i don't know Uh, it's a mystery but he didn't really know what gas was but that's like the origin of the thing yeah so he like it it was in a book that was published posthumously um Mm -hmm. and he said this vapor he wrote this in latin i think um but this vapor hitherto unknown i call by a new name gas like here's this weird thing here's this is a weird thing. I'm going to call it, it a gas. It's wild that like we spent, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of years existing in a soup of particles that we cannot live without. And we didn't think to give it a name until like 400 years ago. So what did we think farts were? <laughs> 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 what was going, what did we think was going on there? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, um, bad air. I think that there was the word air. Like My guess would be that air 
because air was, like Hank said, early medicine was like, bad air is bad for mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. soul or whatever. And we knew that you had to breathe and that yes. we were breathing something. But air was probably separate from the state of matter that yeah. is gas, of like yeah. a chemical thing. That is gas. That ex- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Paracelsus, okay. like anybody who's got a name like Paracelsus, where you're just like, I renamed myself a word. Those people are great. Like yes, Carl Linnaeus. This is the first I've ever heard of him. He's just going to, like, Carl, yeah, he's going to be like, you know, my name's Carl, but I'm going to change my last name to Linnaeus because my whole thing <laughs> is lineages. Lineage. Oh. Like, wouldn't that wow. be fun? Yeah. To be like, I'm going to be Hank Simon. Hank YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> they'd see your Thanks ass tube boy <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tube boy thank you for joining us today <laughs> our keynote speaker today Mr. Tube boy <laughs> it's Dr. Tube boy I changed it <laughs> Sam to answer your question about the word fart it was apparently one of those um, imita- imitative words it comes from old english fjortan f-e-o-r-t-a-n which i guess is what they thought fart sound they were like oh you're making a fjortan out of your butt so it's a sound word rather than a a gas word that sounds about right i like that yeah the farts are are they're kind of more about the sound than the smell like they're they're definitely of two parts yeah the sound is the sound is is the part that is the smell the sound is like fun yeah. So the smell can be pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> An expert <laughs> opinion <laughs> from Dr. Doctor <laughs> <Video> Boy. <laughs> so that means it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, I've got a game. We're playing a game, and it's called Brainstorm. <laughs> So Brainstorm is a pretty simple game. I'll ask you a question. I'll give you a number for how many possible answers there are to the question. And you'll have two minutes to guess out loud, trying to avoid interrupting each other. If you can, you'll get a point for any answer you get correct. And there are no penalties for wrong answers. Round number one, we're going to talk about helium. So helium is used for a bunch of stuff, more than just filling balloons, and it can be used to achieve cold temperatures for scientific scientific applications. It can provide an unreactive environment for manufacturing certain technologies. Helium is great because referring to the uh, the, the poem earlier, it's like the least sticky of the particles. So oh. it stays a gas and so until very, very low temperatures. To that end, because it is so useful, some countries have national reserves of helium extracted from natural gas. And the U.S. has one of the largest with helium extracted from plants around the country. In 2022, the U.S. Geological Survey said that there were 15 plants across seven states that extract helium from natural gas to produce crude helium. What are those seven states? Bonus points if you can guess the state with the largest number of helium plants. Go! Helium plants. I've never heard of one here, so I feel like there isn't one here. Uh, there's helium in Texas. They that is correct. Out of the ground in Texas. Great. Ooh, Nevada. That is not correct. Colorado. That is correct. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oklahoma. Correct. Ooh, goes that way too, eh? Uh, <laughs> what's the one that Bill Clinton used to be the governor of? Arkansas. No. Shoot. Mississippi? No. Alabama? No. Hmm. Kansas. 
That's the one. That's the one with the most. Map of U.S. <laughs> oh, New Mexico. Yes. Oh, shoot. That was an obvious one, huh? North Dakota. No. I think that's too far up for helium, in my opinion. Utah. Does Utah have helium? <laughs> yes. What about... There's uh, only, oh, it's all over, uh, everybody. You only missed one. You did a great job. You really sort of centered in on the areas where helium comes from quite quickly. You missed uh, Arizona, which mm. was is around those other states. All right, round number two. Uh, this one's a little different. It's going to be a matching game. One application for noble gases is to make neon signs. You put a noble gas in a tube, apply an electric voltage, and watch the color that forms as atoms bump into each other and excite their electrons. So for the noble gases, uh, neon, helium, krypton, and argon, which each produce the following four colors, green, blue, pink, and red. Go! Oh, I used to know this. Argon is red? Nope. Is that right? Oh, no. <laughs> Helium's blue. Helium's, Helium's not blue. Helium's blue. Oh, okay. Nope. Neon is green. Nope. Oh, no. Neon is red. Yes. Is helium pink? Yes. Oh, Krypton is green? Krypton is green. Makes sense, like Superman. What's left? Argon, Argon is, blue? is blue. Oh, wow. We Sarah tied. got in right before oh, you. Oh, come on. From my perspective, <laughs> we tie. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah got three out of that one. Good job. That was great. That was fun. All right. That was not going to take two minutes. And round number three, we're going to talk about lifting gases, which are gases that have a lower density than the air around them, which lets the gas rise. That property has been very useful in designing various aircrafts like balloons and blimps. The National Aviation Academy describes six lifting gases that have been used to fly aircraft. What are they? Go. Helium. Is helium one yes. of them? Hydrogen. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I don't know any of this, and Sari's going to know all of them. <laughs> Have we used water vapor? No. Nope. Uh, what's the stuff? Uh, natural gas. What's that made out of? Um, methane? That's yeah, correct. Methane? Sam gets that I'll one. let you have that, yeah. Sam. Nitrogen gas? No. There's so much of it. I will give uh, a hint that it doesn't necessarily have to be a pure gas. Oh. Uh, Carbon dioxide or monoxide, one of those. No. Both. What's the... What's the laughing gas mixture? Ooh, nitrous oxide. Mm, good guess, but no. Tough luck, Sari. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we wouldn't do anything dangerous, I hope, of like, like no chlor, not chlorine gas. Could you use uh, whether it's dangerous or not is does not matter. I don't think that matters. Uh, but yeah. chlorine is not yeah, one of them. True. There it's is a dangerous like, gas or two on this list. I'm running out of my gas knowledge. Eth- ethylene? Nope. You guys are going to kick yourselves with one of these. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. Time is up. The, yep. uh, the one that you're going to kick yourselves about is hot air. Oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the classic gas, air. <laughs> the, the, I told you it could be a mixture. The classic yeah. thing that's inside of almost all current lifting there's craft. A, yeah, there's a whole so. balloon named after hot air. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, but, Sari, let's see if we can do it this way. So so uh, a gas is going to be lighter if it has, if, it, if it's a gas that is a molecule, not an atom, but it has connected to it light atoms. So hydrogen, but mm-hmm. not a hydrocarbon. That already makes you feel, sound very smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hydrogens are, they bond to anything. They're a little, yeah. mm-hmm. they hang out. 
<laughs> they saturate. Um, nitrogen, uh, ammonia. That's it. There it is. Wow. Very, very good. Ammonia. And then the last one was you weren't going to get coal gas, which was used for a while, which has oh. got, you know, it's got hydrogen in it and a bunch of other stuff. Mm. You heat up coal and the gas that comes off is is uh, lighter than air. All right. I have no idea what that did for the scores, but hopefully Faith was paying attention. And Sari is at seven and Sam is at six. Very close, oh, you guys. Wow. Neck and yeah. neck. Not as dumb as I look, huh? <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break. And then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, ooh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manicora. If you head to manicora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they've presented their facts, I will judge them and I will award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. Laughing gas, as we discussed earlier, is nitrous oxide, N2O, a colorless gas that was discovered by Joseph Priestley at the end of the 18th century. But its use as an anesthetic wasn't discovered until later, when an American dentist named Horace Wells attended a demonstration where a volunteer was given the gas only to injure his leg on some nearby benches without feeling any pain. When Wells realized that nitrous oxide seemed to have been, uh, seemed to have painkilling properties, he decided to put it to the test while having his tooth extracted by another Aww. dentist. Okay. That's great. I love that. Try it yeah. out. Also, I love, like, if you're going <laughs> to be on nitrous, I'm not surprised that you injured your leg walking around <laughs> yeah. at a science demonstration. But what year did Wells discover that laughing gas could be used as an anesthetic? Could this be like disturbingly late could this have been like 1955 or something like that could be is that your guess that's my guess okay i think it's earlier than that i think it's um we just didn't know a lot about gas uh 1880 1844 sarah coming out on top gets to decide who goes first oh i'll go first and I um, will listen with rapt attention as you attempt to blow my mind. The substance that we call natural gas, as we've talked about, is mostly methane, which has the structure CH4 and other hydrocarbons, which are all molecules made of various carbons and hydrogens bonded together. It's one of those straightforward chemical names, which I'm grateful for as a science communicator. And natural gas is used as the fuel for lots of things like heating or cooking, in part because it's very flammable. And a big part of why many people still use it is that a huge infrastructure of pipes and whatnot exists to carry the gas to homes or factories or whatnot. That's true. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking, it's not easy to capture and control and move around gas. The people who sell farts are probably lying because there is definitely not an airtight seal. So you are mostly paying for an expensive weird jar of normal air. <laughs> so basically... <laughs> What I have brought for a fact off today is an abridged history of gas storage and transport, which I think is more exciting than it sounds. Wow. Yeah. Hank Hill's oh, freaking man. out out there, you know? <laughs> so a lot of gases today are stored in various, often metal, often cylindrical containers. I'm oversimplifying a lot. Where the gas is squeezed in at a pressure way higher than the standard atmospheric pressure. This saves space, helps with transportation, and is a consequence of having the knowledge and technology to heat and cool and separate lots of different gases and then cram them into these containers. Yep. Before gas cylinders were the vaguely named gas holders, which were mostly large chambers like the size of a farm silo where natural gas or coal gas, which we talked about, uh, which is made when coal is heated in a vacuum were stored at atmospheric pressure. We didn't figure out squeezing until the 1900s, really. Uh, (laughs) 
It's tricky. And from my understanding, there were a lot of these gas holders in Europe and or wherever chemists were. Around the 1800s, when Lavoisier was alive, he developed a desktop device called a gasometre. Gasometer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's French. great. Great French. Never try. That's, <laughs> uh, that's, my, Never. that's what I do with French. <laughs> uh, I can do Spanish, not French. Mm-hmm. He made this ga- gas meter, gas, gas a meter, uh, out of glass and some metal bits so that he could produce and weigh gases. And slightly before that, my boy, Jean-Baptiste Van Helmont mm. from the etymology section was just experimenting with gases like carbon dioxide in closed vessels, um, but not necessarily transporting them around. And what I am most excited to share, but I felt like I needed more scientific and historical context to make it a fact off, is before that, in China, somewhere in the 900 to 200 BCE years, people were drilling for both brine, because salt is useful, and natural gas, because fuel (laughs) is useful. And as far as I can tell from secondary sources, the main way that natural gas was drilled for, stored, and transported was through bamboo stalks, which I guess makes sense. You punch a hole in the earth, and then seal up and use that same hollow tube to collect gas and prevent it from mixing with the atmosphere. And then you move it around as best you can to where you need fuel for fire. And then you light it on fire, etc. Uh, before that, all I could find was anecdotal accounts of people finding natural gas reserves because they were set on fire by lightning or some other environmental phenomenon. Uh-huh. But not harnessing the gas in any way because it's invisible and hard to fathom, much less control and capture. So all that to say, I'm sure there's more history of, of gaseous fuel, but it's not readily Googleable, so you'll have to just send it to us or go on an adventure yourself. <laughs> Do we know like what exactly they were doing with the bamboo? Were they it was just like what were they powering? I think like using it to as fire to boil water to like extract uh. the salt from the brine or um, like ma- mainly for heat, I think heat or cooking so similar things that we use natural gas for today except instead of that's a infrastructural system they just were like oh i punched a hole in the ground (laughs) have some gas in it in a tree that i chopped down and i'm gonna bring it wherever i need it would you like fill up a wagon with bamboo full of gas a lot of people described it as using bamboo pipes but that doesn't make sense to me as like forming a seal or mm-hmm. there's no nothing to put pressure on. So I think, yes, my my impression of it is that you would use it as what later was a, like a gas holder, like a vessel or a gas cylinder mm-hmm. and stop it up some way and then load it onto a cart and then bring it wherever you needed it and then somehow tap into it and let the gas out. Uh, I, uh, they, they had their own little Hank Hill back then. <laughs> yeah. Propane and propane accessories. Um, Bringing his wagon around. Here you go. <laughs> So here's your bamboo. Sam. <laughs> so Sam, what do you got? Mining is dangerous and coal mining is even more dangerous because coal and the gases that seep out of it are poisonous and explosive. And throughout history, yes. sometimes coal mines would explode or coal miners would drop dead for kind of mysterious reasons. So in the 1890s, a scientist named John Scott Haldane set out to investigate what undetectable thing was killing miners and causing explosions. And he quickly discovered the culprit to be carbon monoxide. But just knowing what was causing these accidents wasn't enough because, unfortunately, in addition to being toxic and flammable, carbon monoxide is odorless, so you pretty much can't notice it before it is too late. So Haldane started experimenting on himself, hoping to find ways to detect carbon monoxide 
monoxide before it made him pass out and die. Uh, and experimenting on himself was something that Haldane was famous for. Uh, like in World War One, he designed the first gas mask while experimenting on himself with gases used in gas warfare. And he pioneered a lot of research into what happens when your body gets too high and too low, like the pressure is too high and too low. Mm. The dude just loved breathing weird stuff and breathing in weird ways. Uh, but anyway, I guess in this case, Haldane couldn't figure out how to detect carbon monoxide before he passed out. So he started experimenting on small animals. And eventually he found that canaries were 20 times more sensitive to carbon monoxide than people. So mm. they would pass out in places with low enough carbon monoxide uh, concentration to warn miners that things were getting dangerous so the miners could get out of there. So based on his findings, miners all over the world started carrying their own personal canaries in cages down into mines with them as like an advanced warning device. And you might think, as I did, uh, mostly because of cartoons, that this was sort of a cruel practice because the canary would drop dead. But John Scott Holdane was, it seems, sort of a bleeding heart when it came to animals. So he tested <laughs> on them. But he allegedly didn't like to do anything to them that he wouldn't do to himself. And so as part of his canary coal mine discovery, he also invented a sort of comedically complicated device that you could use to revive passed out canaries. So the contraption was like a steel and glass box with a grate on one side and a little oxygen tank on top. So once your canary friend started to show signs of carbon monoxide poisoning, like it stops singing or it just like falls off its perch, you could swing the little door closed and like seal it up and turn the oxygen tank on and bring your little guy back to life. So you can feel sorry for canaries and invent cages to keep them from dying all you want, but that doesn't mean that miners or mining companies will actually use them. And for that matter, a lot of images of canaries in coal mines do show them like in normal cages. But there are also photo evidence of miners actually using these resuscitating huh. cages. And that might seem like a lot of trouble to go through for just a little bird. But there are also accounts of miners being like super into and loving their little canary friends. Huh. So I guess it does kind of make sense that you wouldn't want them to die. And uh, canaries were used in coal mines until 1986 when a portable Whoa. poison gas detector was introduced to mines, which I thought was just crazy that it took so long That's to get cool. anything besides a bird. I mean, I guess I knew that there, like, it wasn't just a saying, but I didn't realize how institutionalized and like widespread the practice was. I knew they used them because it come from Butte, where a lot of mining yeah. happened. But I, mm -hmm. I thought for sure they just croaked, and the miners were like, "Eh, whatever." But yeah, everybody, go like, leave the bird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the bird's like, leave without me. But yes, it's a little <laughs> bird in a little cage. Now I want to know all about this person and his relationship with this canary. Yeah, would Probably they bring him home, cute. or was there like a canary keeper at the mine? So many questions. Oh, I bet they brought well, that would him be home. a cool job. Like a be. little intern at the mine, get a canary keeper. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you are really close coming into this, and both of those facts were very good. But for pure ability to make a great TikTok out of it, Sam's going to be the winner of this episode. Congratulations, yeah. Sam! Thank you. I humbly accept. Okay. Glad. It would be really weird if you didn't. <laughs> so now it's time to ask the science couch where we got a question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Napoleon on Discord asks, what makes farts so loud? Great question. <laughs> An all-time question. <laughs> An all-time question. A real you know? man kind of question. I feel like I'm not sure. I, things that make sounds loud are usually some kind of resonance where, you know, like our face is full of resonance chambers so we can make louder mm -hmm. amateur sounds. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, your guitar's got a big resonance chamber in it. Butts don't have a resonance chamber. So that is can't it, be that. Is it vibrating butt cheeks? Yeah, I wonder I wonder to what extent. Thing. Like I feel like there's two fart like two potential fart noises. Mm-hmm. There's like a noise of the of the actual cheeks. <laughs> and that makes so like what's happening in that situation is a pressure builds up until yeah. it, the cheeks separate and then the pressure is released and there's no pressure anymore so they slap back together. Yeah. And that happens over and over again because the pressure continues to rebuild every time the cheeks slap back together. <laughs> Uh-huh. But I think that also happens with the anus itself, where the anus uh-huh. kind of can do some slapping. Uh, and so I wonder, I, I don't actually don't know if there's like two different fart noises, like in two different mechanisms, or or if they sort of like happen together somehow. Because I, it, it seems like the kind of thing that I would have thought about before, but I don't, I don't feel like <laughs> I put a lot of mental energy behind it. <laughs> Sarah, no, Sarah, Sarah nodded during that, which makes me feel good. Yeah. As if she I looked, was yeah. getting she something like right. right. Uh, so the butt cheeks one, the jury is out. Uh, oh, I think jury most people say no. I think most people say no butt cheeks don't There's vibrate no fast cheek enough involved. to like, like this motion that you're going to your butt cheek, the, the way that gas comes out, it's not going to go more than a little bit in a cartoon. The butt cheeks are vibrating all over the place. Yeah. Cause that's how they show the fart. But in real life, the gas comes out fast enough that they're, the the noise isn't coming from the butt cheeks. This is shocking. Together. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it Sam, here first. Sam's whole whole vision of the world is changing yeah. right now. Yeah. So but it's just the, anus. It's anus. It's all <laughs> anus, as far as we can tell. Where kind of like how uh, like trumpet players use their their mouth yeah. or. As like an yeah, it's make like the that. buzzing noise, make the vibrations. Your anal sphincter um, does that little vibration, and that noise is affected by the velocity of the gas as you push mm-hmm. it out, the volume of gas, mm. um, and then your natural personal shape everybody's and size. Everybody's got a different fart voice, huh? Everyone, yeah. Got Much a like everyone's anus. got a little different. A hole yeah. on the face. People have got a different hole on the butt, um, <laughs> and that that changes your like resting tone. <laughs> of <fart>. <laughs> <laughs> and and like so, oh, you can manipulate the sounds of farts by like tightening or releasing. The, so as you, yeah, like, anyone has tried to hold in a fart or release it gradually over time. And that can change the volume and pitch mm-hmm. of a fart because it changes yeah. well, the what way that want, that muscle vibrates. And I don't know if, if you're trying to have a fart not make noise, what you want is for the pressure to be enough to overcome the tightness of the sphincter and, and enough to keep it open <laughs> and not to have the thing happen where it's opening, like the pressure opens it uh-huh. and then the release of pressure closes it again so that the pressure builds up again. So you, mm-hmm. so, and that's a function both of like the pressure and of the looseness or tightness of the sphincter. And so, so those of us who can do a good job, and I do, do think that like what it makes it seem like it's the <laughs> butt cheeks is that if you lean off of the, of the thing, yeah. you can make it so that the fart noise, to, but I think that that's actually that's loosening so not the butt cheeks, but it's loosening the sphincter because when you're sitting mm-hmm. on your butt, you're. You know that you're pre- that you're putting pressure on that wow. muscle. I feel like I'm in college right now. <laughs> that was a very important one I just yeah. learned. 
Well, yeah, and like you also have to consider all of what I read is specifically about the sphincter and right. its vibrations. Like more more air coming out at once tend to be louder. Less air coming uh-huh. out, like seeping out, tend to be yeah. not from swallowed air but from intestinally generated air. So those are like the silent mm, but, but deadly they're stinkier. Farts. Mm-hmm. They're stinkier, oh. but like louder ones are like you swallowed because a lot I, of air, you drink I a soda, just drink a coke. Yeah. So silent but deadly is scientifically accurate. Is that what yeah. basically you're saying? Wow. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, there's like your pants to think about. Other layers that uh, that create that. <laughs> there's always your for the pants. Sound. You got to think about your pants. Please <laughs> yeah. don't forget them. The squeaky chair beneath you that may or may not be causing the fart, <laughs> or if it's just a plasticky chair, is it echoing up? I don't right. know. Farts or does the chair become like a resonance chamber? And I wonder if yeah. like the colon, <laughs> like a, a colon full of gas, is its own resonance chamber where that's amplifying some of the sound that i'm not sure of but there's some most of that study of like echoing farts comes along with some sort of bowel loss of bowel control where like you can't hold in a fart because you can't control the sphincter and so that Hmm. usually is like both fart and stool and all kinds of gastro related issues and so at that point if you can't hold in a fart and the air is just coming out then uh, probably the colon's going to echo it some more too because it's just like it's all coming out i know that there are some uh younger listeners to scishow tangents and to them i want to say i hope this has been a lot of fun (laughs) your parents are are just really working through it right now (laughs) um and also i hope that you just learned the word stool and that sari worked really hard to not say the word shart (laughs) yeah <laughs> if you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week, or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at Yidi and at Liz Does Museums and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, very easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishow tangents. You can become a patron. You get the access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. Special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Aker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people tell about people us. Tell people about us. Because how else are they going to find out how farts truly work? <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our editor is Seth Glickspin. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Animals make all kinds of noises when they're surprised. And we know of two species of snakes, the Sonoran coral snake and the Western hook-nosed snake that use a technique called cloacal popping, which is basically farting that's supposed to be scary. The cloaca (laughs) is a multi-purpose hole that- Unlike our farts that just are scary. (laughs) That's not the intent. Terrifying, yeah. (laughs) They can be. (laughs) 
The cloaca is a multi-purpose hole that deals with waste and reproduction, so there's some muscle control involved. To make these low-frequent popping noises, these snakes rhythmically contract and release their cloacal sphincter muscles to compress the gas inside them and squeeze it out in sudden bursts, just like a fart we were talking about. <laughs> and if there's other waste up in there, it might oh. fling out with the expelled gas, too. Why Undignified. Not? Undignified. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but is scary. There, there is no, there's no dignity in life and death. Ugh, mm-hmm. you're already a snake. You're scary. You don't have to shit and fart. Pop, 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 pop. 